Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Often when I'm asked to share, uh, it's something that you uh, take time to prepare, and I'm sure a lot of you will try to go through scriptures. I try to sometimes uh, read a bit of Hebrew and Greek to try to get this deep theological meaning to scripture. Um, But fortunately for you and my sanity, the Holy Spirit intervenes and we get something a lot more simpler and real. Um, So this morning I've entitled the message, Stepping Up. Many of us have had some difficulty in life, be it failed relationships, be it difficult times, uh, be it difficult um, times, shattered dreams, or some sort of hardship that we have experienced. I think everyone here can agree. We all kind of go through that. Often we've allowed the scars of life to deface our vision, and we've allowed the difficulty to supersede and suppress our dreams. And rightly so. Life is tough. It can chew you up and spit you out. And either... Uh, we either have an exp- uh, we have experiences for ourselves, or we've watched, we've grown up in a home and we've watched this happen to our families, friends around us, and we all have this fear of life. We sit there uh, looking at all these challenges of life and what it's done to people, and the scars and the hurts that it causes, and we kind of um, find ourselves uh, creating a fortress of valid excuses of why we can't progress. We kind of justify our procrastination. And it's, right, it's rightful. We've seen evidence. We've seen the hurt. We've seen the pain. Uh, we've experienced the pain. Um, and so what we do is we kind of find reason why we can't take the next step. We kind of find the reason why we can't uh, rise up to what God has, has in store for us. So my prayer that by the end of this message, that faith will be stirred in us, giving us the courage to take that first step if we haven't already, and that the scars of life become a story of how you are living out a vision for him. So as we get into a bit of scripture, and I think some of them will come up on the screen, often in our current circumstances, there's a contrast to the promise. Um, sorry, I've got three points that we'll make in this. The first point is, what has God promised you? So as we travel through some characters in the Bible uh, and we look at their experiences, I want to take a look at what God had promised them and where their circumstances had found them. So the first character that we look at is Joseph. And in Genesis 37, uh, seven, we see Joseph having the dream of the sheaves, and he t- shares this dream with his brothers, and um, he says, "You know what? Your sheaves are going to bow down to mine." And they get a bit upset with him, uh, just a little bit, and say, "Well, listen, um, let's cash in on this deal. Let's sell this guy, and let's get some bucks out of it." So Joseph's current circumstance. He finds himself thrown into a pit. 
But the story kind of progresses from there. He doesn't just find himself in a pit. He then finds himself uh, in a jail. He finds himself in Potiphar's house serving. Uh, he finds himself back in jail. finds himself uh, on his way out, uh, hopefully back in jail. Uh, and then eventually he, he, he comes up to be governor. So from the inception, God's calling on his life was governor. When back as a little boy... God said, hey, you know what? People are going to be buying down. Your brothers are going to be buying down to you. And woohoo! You know, at the age of 12, however old he was, he gets this faith raised up. Life's going to be a better for us. It's going to be so great. Wow, it's going to be so awesome. You know, I've got this colored coat and I've got all this stuff. And my brothers are going to buy down to me. People are going to buy down to me. It's going to be so cool. Uh, and then life hits him. The real life hits him. And he has to keep the, the, the calling ever so present. He has to keep the reminder of that calling in his heart. He cannot let that reminder of that calling depart from him. He has to hold on to it. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the failures, regardless of what's going on, he has to hold on to that calling. We see in Abraham's life, in Genesis 15:2-3, and God says to Abraham, "You know what? I'm going to make you a great nation, and all of these things." And in verse, uh, and in chapter 15:2, Abraham says to God, "Well, you know what? All well, but I don't even have one child. How am I going to become a nation? Uh, a nation kind of means more than one. If I don't have the one, how am I going to get to the nation?" Uh, kind of a problem in the scenario here. But once again, God puts the promise before the circumstances hit you. He births the promise in you and he says, this is what I'm going to do for you in your life. This is what I want to do in you. This is what I'm going to cause to happen with you. And so at a very young age, a lot of us will find that God births these promises. God says these things and he places them there. And as true as can be, life will come, challenges come, be it our home, be it our upbringing, be it friends, be it school, whatever the situation is. These challenges come along life to actually cause circumstances to take away our vision from what the calling is. We see uh, in another character, Moses. And in Exodus 4, verses 10 and 13, uh, Moses is having this deliberation with God. Uh, God is telling to Moses, you know what? You're going to be the deliverer. You're going to be the one to go speak to the king. You're going to be the one to go do all the stuff. And you're going to be my prophet. You're going to be talking to the people. You're going to be telling, uh, giving them my voice. Uh, and I can imagine Moses, because he says here, you know what? I'm not a man of smooth words. Probably stuttered a bit. Uh, he's kind of thinking... God, do you stutter? Because if you want your prophet, if your prophet stutters, you know, what kind of prophet am I going to be to, to the people? I'm not going to really give you a word. I'm, I'm not going to really tell them uh, what your thoughts are. I'm not going to really tell them, uh, you, 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 I'm not really going to be this voice. But we see God saying, you're going to be the deliverer. You're going to be the voice to Pharaoh. You're going to be this prophet. And Moses kind of argues and says, you know what, but can you find somebody else? Send somebody else. You know, is there any chance of changing this plan? 
So God tells Moses to go and lead the people out of Egypt. But there's a preparation that comes for every time. There is a preparation that's taking place in you. So whenever, whenever you see the promise will come and you see the circumstances will come, there's a preparation that's taking place in the midst of all of this. We arrive at the scene with Moses complaining about how he speaks. But God doesn't say, okay, you know what, Moses, valid point, you can't really speak, you stutter quite a bit, we don't have grammar therapists here, um, you know what, let's, let's, let me find somebody else, bad idea, we'll, we'll raise up another person. He tells him, no, take Aaron, let him be the, the voice. Just because Moses identified his weakness doesn't mean God changed the plan. Just because you have identified that you may not be tall enough, maybe you don't have enough money, maybe you're too white in the current South Africa, whatever your reason, whatever your excuse, God is not going to change the plan. The promise and plan that he has for you, he is not going to change, regardless of what your excuse can be. So, what can we summarize about God's promises to us? The promises are always far greater than ourselves. They are to establish kingdom purpose. They surpass our weakness, irrespective of our current circumstances. And there is a season of preparation all the time. The next point I'd like to take us to is preparation. So, how has God prepared us? And what does he do to prepare us? In Ephesians 2.10, we, we, we read a scripture, and I'm sure many of you have read the scripture, but for me, reading the scripture, it almost popped out for the first time in reality. And it was, there is so much of depth in the this, in this scripture, I've never seen it before. In Ephesians 2.10, and I think the scripture does come up there, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. We have been, if you read that in the Amplified, recreated in Christ. When we are born again and die to self and make Jesus Lord of our life, we think we come up to the front, we put our hand up, yes, Lord, we'll get saved. We come up, Lord, I give you my life, I'm saved. And that's kind of it. And then we go on doing good deeds. But what actually happens in this whole process is that we get um, recreated at that very moment. What is the reason for this recreation? Why is God saying, you know what, he recreates us in in this chapter? If we take a step back and we look into Genesis, and we all know God creates us, creates man in his image and likeness, and God gives man an assignment to take care of the earth, to do good things to the earth, to look after the garden. He didn't say make a bush. He said make a garden, look after it, make the trees nice. So, you know, he gives us a job to do and to take care of the place. Good, do good works to the earth. It gives us the animals to take care of it. He gives, it tells us to have dominion over the, over the area. But what happens, we all know, uh, everything gets messed up with Adam and Eve. Sin comes into the world. And we see in Genesis that what was created in good works through sin kind of got cut off. And so man doesn't have the ability 
to do good works. Sin comes into man's life. And what actually happens is that we start to live life, we get born, and man starts to have self-ambitions. Materialism starts to give him purpose, confidence, and self-esteem. And so off we go on this trajectory that the world puts us on that says if you want self-esteem, you've got to do this. If you want confidence, you've got to do that. If you want to feel powerful, you've got to abuse, and all of these kind of things. And so man sees us to do good works. And if we just look around us, um, all of us are complaining about our politicians, good or bad. All of us are complaining about our leaders, be it your boss, be it your managers. We are saying, you know what, how can this guy be there? How can this guy be put into a position of leadership? But what's actually happened? Sin has come into man's heart and stopped man from doing good works. When you and I get born again, we once again are recreated in Christ to do what? Good works. He re-brings back the ability for us to function with good works. He brings back his purposes. He gives us his desires. He gives us his plans. Why? For the good works of man. So when we go back and we read that scripture, we see that he says, we've been recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before time so that we can walk in them. When the things, when, when you pursue the things, the dreams, and the life that is to glorify the Father, this is, what is, this is what is called lordship, is when Christ becomes the center of it all. When this happens, we have the legal right to take hold of the scripture. There's often in life, we take hold of scriptures, but we haven't dealt with the first part of it. And we want to legally confess the scriptures. And we want to do it with all uh, authority and uh, confess it. And if it ain't working, then we're going to fast. And if that's not working, we're going to get two or three together and we're going to confess it. But sometimes what it actually requires is the lordship. It requires there to be a recreating of our hearts. Of the good things that God has predestined for us. Why? Because he says... He's predestined these good things in our, in our hearts when he recreates us so that we can walk in them. Not a probability, not by chance, not if, but that we can walk with them. It's a confirmation of his purposes for us. God prepares you before time. And I remember growing up... Um, being in a, in a uh, I went to an all-white school in the early, late 80s, uh, which was quite interesting. And um, so growing up, uh, probably around the age of eight or so, uh, I remember I never thought throughout my schooling career I was called to business. I never thought I, was, I would amount to much. I never thought I had the ability to get into business. At some point, I even dropped out of school. I said, you know what, I think it was around standard seven or something. I said, I'm done. Uh, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make, make do with life because I can't amount to that much. And that was just because of everything that was said around me and words that you have left, uh, that you allow to creep in. But God was preparing me. Little did I realize only after I get married 
And I tell Navasha a funny story, and she says, but do you realize how God has been preparing you? And so I, I remember at the age of eight years old, somewhere around there, uh, my mom would say, what do you want for lunch? My mom's all made lunch for us when we went to school, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and so being in a white school, having an Indian mom, uh, she makes roti wraps or samosas or something like that. And so she says, how many do you want? And I'll be, I'll have 12 samosas. Twelve? How many rotis do you want? I'll have four rotis. And she couldn't figure out how an eight-year-old ate all this food. But I had a plan. Because going to all white school, they all liked Indian food. So I figured out I can buy a hot dog for two rand fifty, a Coke for two rand, which is four rand fifty, and I sold each of my rotis for four rand, and I sold my samosa for two rand each. So... At the end of the day, I came home with profit from my mom's lunch on a daily basis. And she was so proud that her son was eating. But in the meantime, you know, I, I was getting hot dogs and hamburgers and whatever I wanted. But, you know, it was a good business. There was zero cost and great profits in this thing. But these are the times that God prepares you. It's in the littlest things. You know, if I want us to just think back. It's the... Little of the things, the difficult things, even when we are a child, even in that unforgivable mistake, he has been preparing you. He is preparing you for the calling. Whether you like it or not, it's there. Don't let go of that calling. He's been taking your scars of life and he's weaving them into a great story. And trust me, I've got a whole bunch of scars and... And a lot of times I tell stories and people think, wow, but it's actually all the scars. It's got nothing to do with how great or what I've achieved. It's got to do with the scars of life that I've allowed him to weave into a story. When we, when I can confidently tell you that many of us have been an assistant to Moses. We've been walking in life. We've been uh, the Joshua there. We've been... God said man has been there or our manager has been there. Maybe our parents have been there. We've had these Moses in our lives and we've been serving them for, for a long time. But I can tell you this morning, the time has come for Joshua to rise up in you. The Joshua in you has to arise. Moses dies and we have a choice. A lot of us, when Moses dies in our life, we look, there, we, we look at the dead Moses lying there. And we don't pick up the mantle and start to walk in the promises of God. This morning, I believe that a lot of us have had that experience. Through the circumstances of life, through the challenges of life, through the difficulties of life, we've seen Moses die. We've walked the the walk with him. We've had the experiences with him. But we're too afraid to pick up that mantle. What happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if the people rebel? What happens if the people don't listen? What happens if I fail? So we look at the dead Moses and we stay on the other side of the Jordan, never walking into God's promises. In Psalms 37, verse 23 to 20, uh, 24, it says, The steps of a good man. So if you're not good, I've got bad news for you. But the steps of a good man are ordered of God. 
he delights in his ways. Though he may fall, it ain't a bit of roses. A good man does also fall. Though he may fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So even as good as you can be, as difficult as life can be, God has already knew all these challenges. God already saw all these things happening. God already knew the difficulties that life is going to throw at you. And, the, and this word says that, you know what, even a good man, it's not you've sinned, it's not because God's cast you out, it's not because he's judging you, even good men fall. But they will not be consumed. God will hold them up. God will lift you up. Let's take, a st- let's take a look at the story of Joseph, um, David. Sorry. In 1 Samuel 22, we see David um, leaving and he escapes to, to Garth and he ends up in the cave of Adullam. And we pick up the story there with David sitting in defeat, muddy, dark, cold cave. It's a real low point in David's life. Promises there. God told him, this is what it's going to be. Circumstances, dark, cold, dingy cave. And most of us come to a cold, dark cave experience. We find ourselves alone, facing shattered dreams, inexplicable pain, desperate grief that life sometimes deals. These are the cold, dark caves that even David experienced. David's experience in the cave teaches us about handling life's darkest and most difficult times. David writes in Psalm, he wrote several Psalms while he was in the cave. And I wanted you to take a quick look at how he handled this cave experience because it's, it's in these caves that will determine how we walk out of the promise, how we walk into the promise. We've got to learn how to walk out of the cave. We've got to learn what we say in the cave. What we do in the cave is important. David didn't sit back and say, well, I'm glamping now. You know, you know it, it, it wasn't time for camping here. It was a time to get on. Let's move. There was a purpose in the cave. So in this, in, in this uh, uh, section, we see two things. One of the things we see, David in Psalm 142 tell God, uh, tells God exactly how he feels. Reading Psalms 142, uh, if you go and read that, you'll see there's an, over-sense, um, a, 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 um, an overwhelming emotion that David experiences after he arrives in the cave of Adullam. There's hints of determination and even worship. But the majority of that chapter, as we read it, we find that the mood is one of deep discouragement and despair. If you read verse 6, listen to me. Listen to my cry, for I am in despair, in desperate need. In verse 4, he says, no one is concerned for me. No one cares for my soul. In verse 7, he says, set me free from this prison. So, in this, in this moment, I just want us to, for ourselves, think of how many caves we've had, how many moments of disappointment we've had, that we've felt like David. We've felt that nobody cares we felt, Lord, are you really there? Lord, won't you just set me free from this, in, uh, the, 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 this prison? 
Have you ever been so low that you felt that no one cares and despair wraps its tentacles around you and starts to strangle you? I know Navash sees that on a, after, uh, on a daily basis with the amount of people that are on antidepressants and all these different things because of despair, of hurt, of, what, of all these arrows life is throwing at them. Some think it's wrong to tell God how bad life really stinks. But in David's case here, we see David just becoming brutally honest and raw with God. And he tells him, God, you know what? I'm in desperate need of you. I am lonely. I need you. I know often in times when the days get tough, be it whether it be business or whether it just be those hard days. How many of us have had hard days? And, and no matter what you do, it just seems to go wrong. And then as that goes wrong, it gets even worse. And the worst day just got even worse. And I sometimes just sit back and regardless of how much of coffee I can have, regardless, and I like my coffee, but regardless of what you can do, this day just doesn't seem to go away. And I find myself coming to a quiet place and I'm saying, Father, I need you. I come to that place of surrender. I say, Father, just a little bit of grace. Just a wee bit of grace. <laughs> Take the reins for a couple of minutes here. It's a bit heavy on me. And you know what? It's almost an instant lift. He comes through and he lifts, lifts the load off you. He just waits for us to call on him. He waits for us to share with him. Not complain to him. He waits for us to share with him how we feel. He knows exactly how you feel. He knows the hurt. He knows the pain. He knows the adversity. He knows uh, uh, the, the emotion that it's causing. He waits for us to share. So we see David in the first part. He shares with God uh, what is going on. The second uh, psalm that we see David writes in the cave is Psalm 57. And it is important when we are in that cave, yes, tell God how you feel, but there needs to be a shift. There cannot be just, God, you know what, another day I'm upset again. God, another day I'm in desperate need again. God, another day I need you again. Now, now you're getting lazy. Now you're shirking off the responsibility. Now you're saying, God, you know what? I won't do anything, you do it, and I'll just sit in the cave and wait for you to move. There's a shift that has to take place even in that cave. And what happens is we need to praise God for who he is in the cave. We're not praising God for our dreadedness. We're praising God for who he is in the midst of the cave. As we read Psalm 57... We sent a shift in David's tone. Many people discover the value of telling, uh, telling God um, when they feel stuck, uh, stuck in a cave, but very few turn a corner to actually praise God when we are in the cave. David declares, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. He's still in the cave. Behold, 
uh, he, com- uh, he commits to God. I will praise you, O God, among the nations. I will sing among the people. I'm still in the cave. So there's a, there's a shift that takes place in David's uh, life. And he's just, he takes a choice that regardless of what his current circumstances are, regardless of how the current situation is, regardless of what he has said, God, you know what, the day is tough, there's going to be a shift. And I'm going to praise you. Yes, the day is still lousy, but you're still good. The situation is still lousy, but you haven't changed. You're still good. So I'm going to praise you for who you are. Proactive praise does something transformation, uh, transformative in us. When we choose to praise God based on who he is instead of our circumstances, there's a shift that takes place in us. True worship is based on, uh, is, uh, true worship is not based on our circumstances, but it's based on who God is. When we walk in here, when it's in your quiet time, it's got nothing to do with your circumstances. If we're all feeling great, that really ain't worship. All you're doing is having a good party. Worship is, regardless of what the environment is, regardless of what the situation is, regardless of how you feel, I will praise you for your goodness. I will praise you for who you are. I will still speak of your goodness. And that's when our circumstances are forced to change. In Psalms 118, verse 24, I remember uh, um, somebody today, uh, this week actually, uh, phoned me up, a Christian friend, and just complaining about what a terrible couple weeks this has been. And he's just waiting for the weekend, just waiting for this day to end. Because you know what? I can't take it anymore. Uh, And he also complained that I added to his stress and whatever the case is. But that's beside the point. But I said to him, as he was talking and he was complaining, I just, uh, I was also driving at the time on hands-free. Just (laughs) denote. And I just replied, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's not an option. It's not a question. It's a declaration. It is still the day he's made, regardless of how bad it is. It's still the day he's made, even though you may have had your car repossessed. It's still the day he's made if you've had bad news. It's still the day he's made if you failed that exam. It's still the day he's made if you lost that business deal. You are still in his plans and purpose. I will rejoice. I will be glad in it. It's a, it's, a, it's a state of confessing, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how I'm feeling, regardless of what's life throwing at me, regardless, regardless of what's coming at me. I take a choice to declare, God, this is your day. I will rejoice. I am going to be glad. The next point is stepping out. And after we have been, uh, God's taken us through a time of preparation and he's done all of these things, there's, there's a period where we've actually got to do the job now. We've got to actually step out. When man takes the first step, God gets busy. He is not moved 
by our tears, our begging, or our complaining. Only one thing moves God, and that's faith. Only when man takes the first step does God get busy at work. We sometimes want to complain and remain in that first stage one of that cave. We want to sit there, how muddy it is, how cold it is. We may even get to the stage of saying, Lord, you know what, you're great, you're good. God is good, God is great, and we stay just in that place. But we're still psychologically too afraid to take the first step. We still refuse to take the step out. We still refuse to step out in faith. When the Israelites were going out of Egypt, and this was one of the first times that God raises up uh, Moses, and the Israelites really haven't seen all these miracles and different things. They saw the plagues, but you know they're complaining, Lord, you're gonna, the, we're going to be killed by Pharaoh and all of these things. And so God says to Moses, well, stretch out the staff. Seas part, the waters separate, and they get to walk. When they get to the Jordan the level shifts. The maturity shifts. God says, now this time around, you know what, it's not going to be that easy anymore. This time I want you to actually take a step into the flooded, overflowing Jordan. And I hope you know how to swim. Take a step. And only when you're in, not not before, not when your foot is kind of hovering over the water. No, when you're in, knee deep, then I'm going to stop the water. There's a different level of faith. God will cause us in a maturing and preparation to build up this faith. And we cannot be like babes and hope that he's going to use a staff and it's going to be a bed of roses and we can strike, that Jordan, we can strike the, the Jordan and kaboom, it's going to part. He's going to call you. He's going to cause you to step out in faith. He's going to cause you to do something that's uncomfortable. He's going to cause you. I I just wonder, I mean, you know what? They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. There was no pools there. So none of them knew how to swim. And they had to step into a flooded Jordan. That's kind of recipe for disaster here. I mean... You're telling a guy that doesn't know how to swim to go knee deep in a flooded river, no life jacket, no rescue rope, and he must carry this big ark with him to see God move. So, God, are you telling me that in order to step out in faith, I've got to carry the load? I've got to go knee deep, and I might not be fully prepared for this. And that's when you're going to start to work. Interesting scenario that they find themselves in. Let me just find where I am here. Some of us want to enter the promise of God but we want to hedge our bets. We want to, we want to kind of say, God, you know what? Uh, I know this is what you have for me, 
But I'm going to kind of keep this in the background in case it doesn't work. You know, I'll, I'll kind of take that first, I'll put one leg in, but the other leg at least let, let me have it on the, other, on the dry ground. Because in case, what happens if I've got to jump out quickly? What happens if I've got to get back? We, we, we sometimes remain friends with Pharaoh because what we want to do is keep a bridge built over the Jordan in case we don't like the promised land, in case the promised land is a bit too difficult. Plan B, let's go back. Plan B, let's keep our options open. When God has called you into the promised land, there will be a cutting off. We read in, I think, the first couple of chapters of um, Joshua. God tells Joshua to go and start to recircumcise uh, the Israelites. There will be a cutting off from the old. I know many times in our lives that we've seen a cutting off. Whenever God calls us into a new season, there's been a cutting off. Uh, almost a circumcision. And like a natural circumcision, it's not comfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. It's, 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 you know, not the thing that I'm putting up my hand to do in the first place. But I've seen God cut away. And he, every time he wants you to move to the next level, every time he's taking you into your next season, if you want to see the fullness of God in that season, you've got to cut ties with the past. You've got to cut ties with Pharaoh. You've got to cut ties with the, the wilderness. You cannot hedge your bets. You cannot come half and half into the promises of God. It's all in, not half in. The promises of God, the, the, in the promised land, it's not a bed of roses. I remember times that, you know, we, 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 we hear these uh, this wonderful story of what Canaan's going to be like. It's going to be a ma- land flowing with milk and honey. And a prophet comes. God's taking you to the promised land. Yes, finally, the promised land. The ma- a land with milk and honey. But I've kind of had a different experience when, I've, when we've walked into these lands. I walk into that land, and Wayne will even admit to this sometimes, phone him up and say, bro, you know what? I actually prefer the wilderness. <laughs> In the wilderness, we at least had some manna. Yeah, we got nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's making us walk around a couple walls and there's still nothing. You know, all we're finding here are huge, giant problems. And it's dry. And it's uncomfortable. Well, the promised land ain't a bed of roses. God didn't say, you know what, you're going to go into the promised land, you're going to cruise in, and all these things are just going to be added to you. No, no. He had a whole journey for them. He had a whole bunch of stuff that they had to do. And this is when... We, when we take that step into that promised land and we see that it's, we've got some of those giant obstacles, that is when we've got to hold on to those promises. That is when we have to hold on 
to what he has said to us. You cannot give up when you've marched around Jericho for the sixth time. Because the seventh time is when the miracle happens. Too many of us give up on the sixth time. But on the seventh time, when we give a shout of praise and the miracle takes place, we don't wait for that. We don't walk into that. We give up on round one. Don't give up just because you didn't see the walls fall on the first round. Keep pursuing in. Don't abort the mission during the birthing of your vision. Don't, your, your fight in you, when you get into the, on the other side, has to be greater than the failures. And we see that there are some failures that take place. We see there's a good couple of failures. You know, they, the, the one guy sins and they lose the battle. But they can't let that define how they're going to be for the rest of time. They've got to pick up the pieces, say, God, where did I go wrong? Repent and start taking dominion. They've got to live in the promise. They cannot live on a bridge, plan B, let's get back if it didn't work out. They had to cut, they had to move. We see in Psalms 37, when David gets to the lowest of low points, he does one incredible thing in the cave. It tells us in Psalm 37, all the people and some of his relatives that were in debt, depressed, down and out, come to him and say, oh guy that's sleeping in your drooling beard, will you lead us? Great choice of leader. But you see, God will do something. When you are about to walk into the promise, he's going to ask you to serve. Like Benola was saying, he's going to ask you to serve. And it's in these, uh, the serving experiences is where faith rises the most. It's in, faith, it's in the serving experiences where God builds us up. The most practical way we can serve God is helping others. God expects us to use our dark, difficult experiences to help others. We may, we may, even be full, uh, we, we may not even be free from our own experience when he brings a couple of hurting people, when he brings a couple of struggling people. And I've seen this time and time again. When I'm really having a difficult day, find a victim to pray with. Find somebody to bless. Find somebody to go and help them with their problems. It kind of has the ability to make you forget about your own and be grateful that you're not in their situation. But find somebody to help. Find somebody to go and uh, don't make it about you. Go and try to help your brother get out of his situation. You don't have to have it all together before you take that first step. You may be at one of the lowest points in your, in your cave. Telling God how you feel. Praising him for who he is. And helping somebody else in their situation. And start to see what he does in your life. The reason God prom- uh, plans and promises have to be fulfilled in our lives is because they are not about us. 
we are purely the conduits. When we look at Joseph, when we look at David, when we look at all these people, they were just the conduits for God to do something in the nation. They, it had nothing to do with how great they were. They actually messed up quite a few times. It had nothing to do with them. They were just pure conduits. And God, uh, God will choose us to allow his purposes to, to, uh, uh, to, to prevail on this earth. But we need to persevere. We have to persevere. When we read, um, you can read, the, read it in your own time, in Joshua 1, verse 1 to 9, God takes Joshua, uh, they, they cross over the Jordan, uh, or just before they're crossing the Jordan, and he kind of prep, gives them a prep talk. And he kind of tells them, hey, Joshua, you know what, you're going to be crossing the Jordan, and I'm going to give you all the land that your, 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 your heels tread on, that the soles of your feet shall, shall tread on. Sometimes what we need to do, there's a particular mind shift that takes place when we walk into the promised land. We walk into the promised land and we kind of walk there. The promise has been given, wherever my foot treads will be mine. But we walk in there wondering, will it be? Maybe this one's not included. Maybe I'm supposed to be there. And so we walk in with a mind shift, uh, a mindset of questionability. We question the promise of God. We question whether that is true, whether he's really going to do it. When we walk into the promised land, we've got to walk in an element of confidence, knowing who our God is, knowing that the land that he promised us will be given to us. It's not arrogance. It's called faith. There's a different element of faith that has to rise up in us, that when we take that first step, we know that God has promised this to us. Why? It's not for my purpose. It's not for me to be great. It's not for me to boast in. It's not for me to have pride in. It's for his kingdom to be established. It's for the nations to be established. It's for the good works that he predestined to take place, that I can walk in them. It's got nothing to do with me. God repeats himself to Joshua, when I, uh, when, when I read the scripture, and I remember reading this a, a little while back, and uh, I kept reading this part, and I was, God, you know what, why you t- keep telling me to read the scripture? And at that time, there was no real big challenge, there was nothing happening, can't understand it. Uh, and during the course of that week, there popped up the different doubts, and there popped up the different circumstances and there popped up the different challenges and there popped up the different situations that will steal that vision away. There popped up the things that will suppress you. There popped up those ten, uh, tentacles that strangle you. Within a space of a week and all these things happened and I was reminded of the scripture and God tells, uh, tells, uh, tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage. In fact, he tells it to him, I think, three or four times in that, in that chapter. He tells him, you know what, go now, be strong and of good courage. He says, have I not told you, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? So why does God repeat himself? If we look at just the word courage, courage is a state of mind or spirit that permits a person to face extreme danger and difficulty without fear. So God tells us, you know what? 
it's not going to be a bed of roses. It's not going to be easy for you. But I have predestined some stuff in you. I have placed a promise in you beforehand. And provided those promises are to do good, provided your, 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 the things in your heart are to do good, then I will make sure your footsteps are ordered of me. I will make sure that even though you fail, I will rise, them, uh, rise you up. I will make sure that even though it may get difficult, I will see you through with it. He makes sure that you come out on the other side. But you have to walk the journey. You have to walk through that preparation. You have to walk through that, 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 that process. But then he'll tell, he gives you a scripture like this. Be courageous. Be strong and courageous. Don't give up. It may be something that attacks you spiritually. It may be something that attacks you mentally. It may be something that attacks you physically. But courage is something that surpasses whether it's a mental state or a physical state. It doesn't allow fear to rule. It says, I know the promises of my God. I know the instruction of my God. I know what he's called me to do. I will take that step. Yes, I don't know how to swim. Yes, I don't know. I don't have a lifeline here. Yes, I haven't been prepared to walk into that Jordan. And yes, with the load knee deep, it's quite heavy. But I will do it. I will be strong and of good courage. I will not give up. I just want us to take a moment and just to ponder on some of these scriptures. And if we can just, uh, as we're closing, if we can just close our eyes. Some of you, as I've been speaking, there's been certain highlights. Maybe some of these wounds that I've spoken about, maybe those are ever so present in your life right now. Maybe those hurts are there right now. Maybe that heaviness is there. Maybe you're in, in that cold, dark cave. Whether it be in your career, whether it be in your finances. Whichever place you are in, I want us just to take a brief moment and think, God, what have you promised to me? Was it when you were six years old? Was it when it was 15 years old? Did he say to you, I was going to make you a great nation? Did he tell you, you know what, I'm going to use you to heal the sick? Did he tell you, you know what, you are going to be an evangelist for me? Did he tell you, you know what, I'm going to make you find the cure to certain diseases? What did he tell you? What has he promised to you? Allow those things to be rebirthed in your hearts right now. Allow those promises to come alive once again. The promises that may have been forgotten. The promises that may have been siphoned by life. Allow them to come alive once again. as we do that let's start to thank God for the preparation I guarantee you maybe you haven't seen it but there has been preparation 
maybe like me, at the age of eight, he was preparing a businessman. You may have been 12 years old. You may have been 30 years old. It may have been in that worst mistake of your life. He was using the hurt. He was using the pain. He was using the scars of life to weave a wonderful story. decision today what is that step of faith that we need to take how do we need to step into that Jordan what is the step that we need to do in our lives to allow his promises step of faith. I'm going to take hold of those dreams that you birthed in my heart. I'm going to take hold of those things that I may have forgotten about. I'm going to take hold of maybe as as long as it may have seemed, the promises have all faded away. The circumstances of life have shifted my focus. The circumstances of life have caused me to focus on my cave. Father, I'm taking a decision today to shift, to turn the circumstances into praise. I'm taking a decision today to rejoice that this is the day you have made. Tomorrow is the day you have made. This week is the week you have made. The days of my life are ordered by you. And you will uphold my footsteps. I thank you, Father, that as we have made this decision, I pray for your people. And as we have taken a decision to step out in faith, we thank you that we are going to see your kingdom established in our lives. I thank you that we are going to see the city of Durban touched and changed through the conduits that you have made us through the power that you have placed within us we are going to see the nation of South Africa changed we thank you and we are going to see the continent of Africa changed through us we take to the call we take to the promises we do not allow the circumstances to, to, to strangle them 
but we choose to praise you and we choose to step out in faith with you knowing well that it may not be easy knowing well that we may face some adversity knowing well that we may lose some battles but knowing but knowing that we are going to be strong and of good courage we are not going to go astray we are not going to lose heart we are going to walk in your victory in jesus name we pray amen thank you for tuning in for more messages like these and other resources you can visit our website at enderban.org remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons be blessed